0: You're listening to This Nazarene Life, stories of young Nazarene clergy and their role models. TNL is a production of Young Clergy Network, a ministry of OKC First Nazarene committed to listening to, collaborating with, and empowering young pastors over at youngclergy.net anyone can join the network for free for access to online resources and the latest updates. This episode is sponsored by Mission New York. Mission New York exists to support church planters for the Church of the Nazarene in Manhattan, and you should totally go join them. Check them out at their Facebook page, Mission New York, for more information. On today's role model episode, we're going to hear from Reverend James Hayworth outside Washington, D.C. He's awesome, and I'm really excited for you to hear everything he has to say. Thanks for all you do for young pastors and thanks for tuning in. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. I'm Britt Bullerjack, and I'm here with my guest, James Hayward. James is the lead go pastor at Calvary Church in Annandale in the D.C. area. Welcome to the show.
1: It's great being here, Britt. Thank you for inviting me on.
0: Oh, well, thanks for coming. So the first question I ask everybody is, how did you end up in the Church of the Nazarene?
1: Uh, My my story is a very interesting story because uh, I I was born at one pound with a twin sister. Wow. And um, in uh, Bronx, New York. Okay. And I was born to a mom who was uh, young and uh, had a lot of things going on. And so uh, somehow with all of that, the uh, physical issues, the cognitive issues, different things like that, we ended up in foster care at the age of about three years old. And we were in foster care for 12 years. Wow. So we were in foster care and we were in the D.C. metropolitan area. Mm -hmm. We were in foster care together, my twin sister and I, to uh, two Christian Families, one a pastor and his wife, uh-huh. and one uh, two Christians, two uh, another uh, male man and his wife, uh, Christian folks. And at, at age 12, we returned to our biological parents' home.
2: Wow.
1: And because we had grown up in a Christian family in those years of foster care, we were kind of missing that Christian context and different things like that. But there just happened to be a Church of the Nazarene about 400 feet up the road from our house. Wow. And one day, Dave and Reba Bowen came down, knocked on our door, and invited us to Vacation Bible School. Oh. And uh, that is the story of how I got connected to the Church of Nazarene, started going to that church, and they became family for me because my family was not Christian, only two Christian folks in the family at the time were my twin sister and I. Mm. And so they kind of became our Christian context, our Christian family in a family that was extremely dysfunctional, to say the least. Okay, This was kind of a refuge for me. Mm. And so I connected with that church and I've been in, that was at 12 years old and I've been in the church of Nazarene ever since and I'm 50 now. So... That's been a, that's kind of the journey of how we got connected in the Church of the Nazarene.
0: Oh, man, that's fascinating. Um, so kind of tell me the story from there, how you ended up with a call to ministry.
1: So at 12 years of age, I got involved in Church of Nazarene and our Church of Nazarene was a, a multicultural church. Okay. pastor was uh, white. Okay. Dave and Reba born great folks. Uh, to this day, uh, we're connected together. I'm going to go to their 50th wedding anniversary. Wow. In August. And so very good friends to this day and a mentor to this day. But it was a multicultural church that was really different in those days. Mm -hmm. You know, we had people that were Hispanic, people that were black, people that were white. And during the time I stayed there, the the neighborhood began to change and it it became a predominantly urban or a church that was predominantly Mm African-American. But uh, Dave and Reba Bunn did not leave the church. They stayed there. Wow. They were an outstanding uh, pastoral couple. Reba was a youth pastor and Dave was the lead pastor for for the church. And we just fell in love with the church. I mean, the spiritual mom and the spiritual dad there who sure. looked out for me, who who supported me, who encouraged me. Hmm. And so in that little church, unlike the churches that I've served in, if you're a lay person, if you're a person in the church, you didn't have a bunch of staff. There was no paid staff at that church. Okay. If you were a young person in that church and you had an ability and a skill, you were needed and wanted. Yeah. And so what would happen was if they needed janitor, I was the janitor (laughs) at the church for five or six years. So every Saturday night, I would come in, vacuum, do whatever, clean the church. Wow! I was involved as a Sunday school helper. Uh I was involved as a VBS director. (laughs) And so if they had a need, I was involved in it. And very interesting Mm -hmm. thing, looking back over all these years, I realized that a lot of my leadership skills Mm -hmm. were groomed. And were encouraged because there was a need, and I just filled that need.
2: Wow! And
1: so, um, doing this for a number of years, at about the age of sixteen, I felt that I had a call to ministry. Mm. I started to look at gifts and graces, and and I had some folks. You know, there were some well-meaning people. If you would go down to the altar who would say oh you're called to ministry and you know you just kind of take that with a grain of salt right. and you don't really embrace it but at about age 16 i remember feeling in my in my heart that i was called to ministry mm-hmm. i'd been called in. My lead pastor was on sabbatical, Mm. and we had an associate pastor who was leading the church while he was on sabbatical, and he had called me into his camper one day, and he asked me, had I I ever given my life to the Lord? I'm going back a little bit. Okay. And it was at that point that I realized I'd been around the church. I had been baptized in the Baptist church before I went back to my biological parents' home, but I never really had anybody ask me, Mm. had I given my life to the Lord. And so in that trailer that day, I gave my life to the Lord. Mm. And um, fast forward back to 16, uh, I felt a call. Now, I just felt like when I got the call, there's no way in God's green earth I'm ever going to be a pastor. <laughs> they don't get paid enough.
0: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> they go through a very hard time. Mm. I had seen some pastors come and go, and I'd seen, you know, Parishioners do something like, "Hey, we're mad at the pastor. We're not going to tie so he'll have to leave." Or, mm. and so I had seen pastors get treated poorly, and even though they loved David, David and Reba lived their lives very transparently, and they didn't have some things that I will have, like a TV mm. and different things like that. So I said, "God, tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to be the best lay person that you've ever had. I'm going to go out. I'm going to make a ton of money." I'm going to do lifestyles that are rich and famous, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to tithe and double tithe, and I'll be a great lay person, and that'll be none of that. Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: Well, it didn't work that well. (laughs) Right. So so at 16, I I said no to God, and um, I continued to do what I was doing, involved in a church, NYI president, so serving on the board at this point. Wow. And about at 18, I decided that I was going to really go for this no pastor thing. Okay. And so I made a decision that uh, I was going to go out. I'd been a good church boy for a long time. Mm-hmm. I had done everything I was supposed to do. I was involved in a church, uh, didn't smoke, didn't chew, didn't go with girls to do all that sure, kind of stuff. Sure. And at about age 18, I thought, you know, it's time for me to see what's going on. Mm. And so I moved into a, a apartment with my brother and we did the lifestyles of the rich and famous things. <laughs> and I always kept one foot in the church. But there was one foot in the world,
2: mm.
1: and I began to get involved in some things that I'd never been involved in before, and my life began to spiral out of control. Mm. And I, the day that I remember that kind of is etched in my mind of this life spiraling out of control is a couple of days. One day, I remember waking up, and I remember sensing in my spirit, I felt like the Lord said to me, James, you haven't prayed in about a year. Mm. And I'm not talking about now I lay me down asleep or God is good and God is great. I'm talking about really having communication with the Lord. And mm-hmm. I thought about that and, and I said a little prayer, but I just I didn't stop anything. I kept one toe in the church and the re- whole rest of my body in the world.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, it all came to head on one uh, late afternoon. So I felt like God always, uh, had always blessed me. I was always ahead of my time. Hmm. And so I would take on a job and I would excel at that job and I would end up being in charge, supervisor, manager, whatever, of people way older than I was. Hmm. And so when I was uh, 18 years old, 18 and a half years old, I became the manager of a retail store. Wow. And at 18, you just didn't do that. So right. a year before, at 17, I was the stock boy and at 18, I was the manager. Wow. And um, and uh, doing a lifestyle of rich and famous, I was living above my means. Mm. So I was living in an apartment at the time that was almost like twelve hundred dollars. And this is back in nineteen eighty five. Wow. Uh, that's a lot of money. And, uh, and so I was living by my means. And so I, I started to embezzle just just embezzle little bits mm. from the company, kind of to make ends meet, because I had a situation where. I was living with a brother and things weren't going well for him. And I remember one day being called into a, a manager's meeting mm-hmm. and my regional manager came in and we went to this place and we were going to do a manager's meeting. And right there, when I got there, laid out on a table was all of the different things that I had embezzled over uh, maybe a six month period. Oof. And I remember my district manager saying to me, do you see all of this? And it was it was enough where it could be grand larceny or whatever. And I remember them saying, you got You got a couple of choices. You can make restitution for all of this Mm. and you can pay all of this back or you're going to be in trouble. And I I went to my dad who wasn't a Christian at the time Mm. and he thought I was a Christian. Um, and, uh, and I said to him, dad, I, I've embezzled this money. I've got to pay this back. And by the grace of God, and I, I believe it was the grace thing. My dad gave me the money wow. to pay, but to make restitution, but everything fell apart at that time point mm. because uh, I remember mm. saying to my district manager, after my dad had given me the okay, so, uh, do I still have a job? <laughs> and she looked at me like I was crazy and said, "Of course you don't have a job." And so I lost my job. Oh, I lost my apartment. I had been dating a girl who, um, who kind of dropped me at that time because mm. all the other stuff was gone. Right. And I remember I was drinking at the time, clubbing, doing all the things I'd never done before. And that night I mixed a cocktail of grain alcohol, uh, and I'm ashamed of this, some other stuff and mixed it together and drank it. And I was totally out. Mm. And my twin sister just happened to be in town Mm. from Germany.
2: Mm. Wow. And that
1: night she turned my face over so I didn't die in my own vomit. Mm. And I remember the next day the Lord asked me, James, how is this running your own life thing going?
2: Mm.
1: And and I responded terribly. And uh, I made a decision that day that I would not run anymore, mm. that I would fully surrender to God. And if he wanted me to be in ministry, I would be willing to do it. Wow! And that, that began, that changed everything. I went back home and I lived with my mom again. I got this minimum wage job that was paying like one eighth of what I was getting paid as a manager. Mm. Uh, I went back to church and I got up one Sunday and asked the pastor for permission. And I just told the church everything. Mm. And I just confessed it all to the church, the complete church body. Mm. And they were, I mean, they were forgiving. They were encouraging. One of the people in the church found me a job at a Christian bookstore. And that was the beginning of my journey back, my beginning of my journey of of not playing games anymore, but really focusing on the Lord. And I, I did that for about a year. And I remember someone in my church saying, James, you're called to ministry. What are you going to do to prepare for ministry? And I said, I don't know. And they said, well you need to go to you need to go to Eastern Nazarene College. And I, mm. said, I don't have any money right. to go to Eastern Nazarene College. Right. I don't have any money. None. I'm you know, I've just got finished paying the restitution back to my father with interest for the money that he had loaned me to uh, make restitution. Oh man. And I remember God saying, James, I want you to repair, and if you will go in faith, I will provide for you. Mm. And so, at age twenty years of age, twenty twenty, I guess it was twenty years of age, twenty one. I, uh, ha- I the, the church took a love offering for me. Wow! Uh, the day before I Sunday before I left, the seven hundred dollars, and the employer that I was working for was a Christian man, and and he gave me a bonus check of about twelve hundred dollars. Wow! And so I took nineteen hundred dollars, got in the church van. And they drove me to East Nazarene College. I had applied and everything like that. And I got there and they didn't have a room for me. And I thought, well, this was <laughs> crazy. And so God took that $1,900. And was as, tuition was 1200 Tuition, room remember, was $12,000 a year. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to school for five years and a half. I, I finished a senior and then I started going part-time uh, for five years and a half for the cost of one year. And the yeah. only reason why I even paid for one year was because I took the fifth year and you didn't get aid. Mm. God kept his promise. Wow. And he provided, mm. literally provided. And that, that it wasn't that I didn't work. I cleaned toilets. I did whatever I could do. I traveled for summer ministries for, for five years. I traveled and I represented to school mm. uh, doing summer ministries. and But God provided. And he had put people, people in my life, some of the people like Michael Schutz, Bill Nichols, uh, Jan, Lanham, people in my life who looked out for me, got a scholarship from General Church, and uh, God just really provided for me. And, of course, that began everything. Yeah. So when I got finished with ENC, after my fourth year, I started working for ENC in admissions. I was a recruiter. Gotcha. And so I took classes for a year and a half part-time while I recruited mm. and recruited all over the eastern region. Met my wife at ENC. Uh, my wife of 25 years met wow. Rose uh, at ENC. She was a Long Island girl, Aww. a Metro New York girl, Long Island girl. Uh, met the love of my life, my best friend in my, of my life there at ENC. Hmm. And I got married my fifth year, got married, worked for ENC for a year, and then began to go and do other ministries. So I've been a youth pastor in York, Pennsylvania, uh, Bud Reedy, and uh, is still the pastor of that church today. Um was youth pastor there for four years, after youth pastoring, returned back to ENC to be Director of admissions. Mm. I was Director of admissions at ENC for four years, and then took a job at Fredericksburg, Virginia, which was at Salem Fields Community Church. Mm. And so I, I've had the privilege of going from one of the smallest churches on our region to being on staff at two of the largest churches on our region. And um it was during my time at Fredericksburg that I felt the call t- to come to Calvary, where I am now and didn't want to come threw away the uh, search piece a couple of times because I was very happy. We're at Fredericksburg Selling Fields. We are growing by 300 people a year. Mm-hmm. And I thought, this is a great place. Well, when I leave here. But a God, has, um, God has uniquely gifted me to bring people together. Mm. And, I, and I knew from the time that I was in... Grace Church in Mid-Atlantic District with the Anglo pastor and a multicultural church that God wanted me to pastor a church that was multicultural, multi-ethnic. Mm. And I remember God saying to me, uh, James, if you're going to do that, Northern Virginia is one of the most multicultural, multi-ethnic places in the country. And I believe that when I first got here, I think they wanted me to bring a briefcase and do what I ha- what we had done at Salem Fields here at Calvary. Mm. And God, you know, God did something different. I was in, I was at Third Wave Mm
2: -hmm. in
1: Johannesburg, South Africa.
2: Yep.
1: And I remember praying up there, okay, God, I'm in this new church. This is what I want to do. And God said, no, 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 that's not what you're going to do. You're going to start to engage the culture around you. And uh, you're going to be a part of putting together a church that is multi-ethnic, multicultural, which is, you know, the Church of Nazarene has a lot of multicultural churches, Mm -hmm. different congregations meeting together there are a lot of churches in the church of Nazarene that are multi-ethnic and English speaking.
2: Mm.
1: And so uh and so God God took me to this mostly Anglo, uh well-educated, very well-off church. Mm. Uh as the lead pastor and I began to help the church to envision what it would look like to embrace his community and uh, so that 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 has been my journey. That, that call was a call that kind of made its way through and God began to unfold that call. Every step that I was at, mm-hmm. whether I was in York, Pennsylvania or at East Nazarene College or Fredericksburg, Virginia, God began to unfold what he was doing. And uh, and, and, and I think the interesting thing about a call is that call is continuously revealed to you. Mm-hmm. God calls you. Yes. Yeah but we're folks who believe that God is calling you. Yeah. And uh and so every day, I, every day, every year I submit to, I've been here for 12 years. Wow. And I'm a re-engineer. I come in, see what's broken, fix it and I move on. Mm-hmm. But that's not the way God called me here. Mm. Because in this situation, relationships are important. Yeah. So that whole call uh, to bring people together.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, we talk often about how 11 o'clock on Sunday is the most divisive time in our nation. Yeah. Because people, it's easy, right? Everybody wants to worship with people that are like them. Yeah. People who dress like them, look like them, their education. So when you start to say we're going to put together a church that is, I call it a purple church. (laughs) Because we have very conservative Republicans and very progressive Democrats. So when you try to put and that makes sense for Washington, D.C. area. So when you try to put that China church together, it's hard. Yeah. And that's not easy. And uh, there have been great days and there have been difficult days. Mm. But we 12 years in, we have seen a vision come to pass where those people are coming together under a vision of going and accomplishing the Great Commission, hmm. and they're doing it, and we're doing it. And it's been difficult, but it's been a lot of fun as well. So that's kind of, that, that gives you a little bit of the story of the call and, and how God has uh, kind of worked it out in my life and in the life of this church here in Annandale.
0: Mm. I love that so much, and I'm fascinated by the process. Can, can you unpack it a little bit for us? What, what have these 12 years been like? What is that journey of going from one type of church to a more diverse congregation? How have you gone about doing that work there where you are?
1: It's, it's interesting because when I, when I left, when I got to Salem Fields in Fredericksburg, after I, after I moved on from ENC, they were about 800. Okay. Uh, when I left there, Three years later, they were running eighteen hundred. Wow! And, and and there were pieces because Fredericksburg is a military town. There were pieces of different ethnicities coming together,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but nothing quite prepared me for the multicultural, multi-ethnic setup that's here in Northern Virginia. And yeah. f- in fact, there's an elementary school down the road from where I pastor, and it is an elementary school that's 21 languages wow. spoken in that school. Wow. And so when we, when I talk about multicultural, multi-ethnic, this, uh, this is where it is, at least in this part of the country. I'm sure New York has more multicultural aspects and California and some places like that. Yeah. But this is a place where you can come together and you can live together because you have the same education, you make the same money. Mm-hmm. So this there's an opportunity here for you to live and not just go to church. Mm-hmm. You would go to work, you would live in the community. Mm-hmm. So I, I think sometimes... It's a little bit easier here. There's still this division when it comes to church, but there are more probably multi ethnic, multicultural churches in Northern Virginia than a lot of places in the country. Mm. Coming to Calvary, uh, there was a Calvary way when I and I got here, and the Calvary way was I would say I'll use the term yuppie. Okay. Because there was a pastor that kind of planted, the, put the plant here, okay. the campus here. Mm-hmm. And at the time, he was putting together a church that would best reach northern Virginia. And that church was more educated, wealthier. Okay. Not wealthy, but wealthier. Mm-hmm. And he was putting together that kind of church. It was a button-up church. It was it was nice suits and, and dresses. And then when the whole wave came in of casual, they moved to khakis and polos, right? Because okay, sure. that, that was the wave that was in. And this the, even the campus, they built it in 1991 here. Okay. And I remember coming here as a student because my best friend did an internship at this church. Okay. And my best friend was a, a jock. He had sweatpants on all the time, never would dress up. And he came back from this church one summer and he was dressed, he was dressed up. And so we decided we need to go and see what happened to this, this, this guy at this church. So I came in, I remember driving up to the church and it didn't look like a church. There was no steeple. There were no crosses, at least that I could see. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: It just looked like a business center. And so I remember thinking to myself, "What are they trying to do here? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> are they trying to hide the fact that they're a church?" Mm. Remember, I came—I came from a traditional church. Yeah. I remember coming in, and and everything was just so well done.
2: Mm.
1: It was so well done. I mean, you know, they held the mics very nice with their finger up, and <laughs> and they and it was just a worship team. Everything was—it looked nice. It was just beautiful. Mm. And so, as you can imagine, when I got the search piece. I was thinking, there's no way. I guess I would be, you know, you have high church, you have low church. I would probably be right in the middle. Mm. And so I'm thinking to myself, I'm a really laid back person. I don't dress up to go to church. Mm. I'm not a person. I'm a very gregarious, loud. I laugh loud. I like to have fun. And I remember thinking, coming to this church, oh, I got to change that. I got to become more proper and I need to become more buttoned up. And, and I, I couldn't do it. Mm. I couldn't do it. I I got a letter, an email from a a parishioner here, and she she explained it like this. And I embraced this. She said, James, I'm trying to get it, but it's like you're a fire hydrant. I'm trying to get a drink of water, but it's like, I can't take any water in. You're just so. And I remember thinking, oh, man, I, I need to button up. And then I realized, you know, God created me this way. Yeah. And God, God. God made this happen because I didn't want this to happen. I tried my best to do everything. In fact, in my interview here at the church, I came here and, uh, and I did everything I could to get the board to say no. I, I mean, I remember saying to the board, if I come here, I'm going to half the church. The church will half. And, and I, some of you are going to leave. And I'm going to ask some of you on this very board to leave. And I thought they'll say, oh, we don't have time for this guy, this cocky, whatever. We're, 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 we don't have any time for this guy. And, and they unanimous, unanimously <laughs> voted for me to come. And, uh, and let me tell you how funny that is. The reason why that's funny is because when the church started to have, I was sitting in a board meeting one day and I was really bummed by it. Mm. And one of the ladies that was at that interview that night said, pastor, you told us the church was going to have. And I said, well, I didn't believe it. <laughs> 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 I didn't believe that was going to happen. I just said that. Right. And um, but that that was a little bit of the journey. Uh, they had to get used to me. I was a different kind of person. And and I would I would say to you that there were some adjustments they had to make. Yeah. And so, you know, so when I got in fact, I remember the church vote. I wanted to get this church vote. I wanted to get like 85 percent. Yeah. And it came in more at 80 yeah. percent. And that just depressed me. And and then one of my buddies called me and said, James, do you understand that you're an African-American pastor being voted on at a predominantly Anglo church? And he said 80 percent was great. But remember, I was looking for a reason not to come. Right. And uh, and so when I got the vote, I, I called the district superintendent back and said, I, I can't. Not going to do it. Yeah, and he said, uh, as, every, as as every good district superintendent would say, he said, you know, give it a week, James. Give it a <laughs> week. Just pray about it for a week. Yeah. And uh, when I prayed about it for a week, God just said, James, uh, that's this is a place I have for you.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: uh, there were some adjustments. I remember a lady coming into the the uh, uh, my office and saying, Pastor, you know, we're leaving. Mm-hmm. And I said, Well, what's going on? And I had been trying to minister to this to this couple, this family, and I wanted to keep as many people as we could keep sure sure and she said well we just who, well who's gonna knock on the doors and I thought well I can I can knock on doors well, well but who who's gonna dedicate our babies and I thought well I i am dedicated babies yeah and then I said I thought oh, oh, oh okay I'm getting it now and I said to her you know I can change a lot of things I can change stylistically I can but I I can't change color, and what her point was was, well, you're black and we're white, and how's all that gonna work? And and you know what? It freed me that day. It freed me just a lot. I just said, you know what? I was I was thinking that I need to. I can't change that, so I, I can just love you now. Yeah, I, got, I don't have to worry about trying to. I'm just love on you, and um and I and I've done that with that couple for the 12 years I've been here, they, they moved on, Mm. but I saw them at a district assembly recently. And that couple, one of the, one of the, the the lady came up and she gave me a really big hug. And she said, thank you for loving on us.
2: Mm.
1: And, uh, and that's kind of the way I approached ministry. And, and, you know, people would always say, well, pastor, we're leaving, but it's not because of you. (laughs) And so in that process, we, we had to know going in that there were going to be some people, and I don't I don't get upset about the process because there's a deal. I would suspect if there was a predominantly black church and they hired a white pastor out of nowhere, or they hired a white pastor, there would be some folks who wouldn't do it. Mm. Hispanic church, Asian church, whatever the case might be. Mm. And so so, you know, we dealt with a little bit of that in the beginning, and I began to change the culture of the church. I began to move away from a church that because you, you, you can be a church that is multi-ethnic and multicultural and be a yuppie church. Eww. There were people who could do that better than us mm. here in Northern Virginia. Mm. So we wanted to be a church for everyone.
0: Yeah.
1: And when you want to be a church for everyone, you have to decide, here's how we're going to do this. And so I, I, um, I, I talked about, I wrote a little bit about this in the uh, in the Church Growth magazine a number of years ago. And I began to talk about how you do this multi-ethnic, multicultural church. Mm. And uh, you, you have to look at a number of things. You have to look at who's on the stage.
2: Mm.
1: Does the stage represent what you want the community look like? You have to look at who's in leadership you have to look at the ministries you have to look at the music even something as as simple as music if you're going to be multi ethnic multicultural, music matters mm. and so we began to look at that and 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 i had no examples of this in the church of Nazarene. there were yeah. no examples of a person who had who was carving out and doing what i was doing mm. and um and so we we did some we learned by trial and error. Yeah. And uh, some things worked uh, really, really well. Um, we tried to diversify the staff. That, work, that worked well. Tried to diversify the board. And we had people on the board who gave up their seats so that we could diversify the board. Mm. Um, but there's some things that didn't work well. Um, I, I've, I, did so, <laughs> I did so many things uh, that we had to drop back and punt. Mm. But what we decided to do was when I got here, they were going to build a building. That was the goal. They were going to build a building. And when I got here, I had been at a church of 1800 They that was going to build a building for the same price. Mm. And I knew that wasn't going to work here. We had uh, 250 people when I got here, and they had 1800 Yeah. And even with the cost drop of living, wasn't going to happen. So we began to come in and try to redo the building. And so what the building looked like, we tried to do the building in such a way that different cultures would be attracted to it. Mm. And so so we did a lot of things, and there were some things that people liked. I put flags up from number of nations. So we tried to represent national flags in the area. We tried to have our artwork done in such a way that it would be multi-ethnic, multicultural, represent a number of different people. Mm. And so made some changes, made some changes in mission. You know, we had a... I, I felt like it was a generic mission. You know, uh, it, was, it was about... Um, in fact, there were four or five churches on the same mission in, in, in the area. And so we began to talk about mission. And sometimes I sometimes I didn't do committee. Sometimes I took the experience that I had learned and being a leader and I uh, I helped us down the road yeah. on some of these things. And so that you know, sometimes in words of John Maxwell, you know, they say, if you're leading and no one's following you, are taking a walk. There were days that I took a walk <laughs> <laughs> and nobody was coming with me. Um, but I, I asked him to trust the process. Yeah. And I, I don't die on anything but vision
2: mm.
1: or everything else can be changed. Everything else can be adjusted. But I don't die on anything but vision. Mm. And, uh, and so there were some visual things that we took. I, I think one of the funniest things that uh, we did uh, was I put a cafe in the auditorium. Ooh. So a lot of people have their cafes outside of the auditorium. My old church had a cafe that, seat, that, that would seat 250, mm. but it was on the outside of the auditorium. We were, when we redid the church, we, uh, we gave the teens the old fellowship hall and everything like that. And I was we had this spot. Mm. And I thought that would be a great place for a cafe. The church was built like a janorium anyway, and so you would open up the the metal door and you would serve into that position because that it was it was supposed to be a fellowship hall and then they were gonna build the worship center. Gotcha. You know, that was the model that we did back in the day. Right. And I just decided, hey, why not put a cafe there? And I remember people looking at me like I had lost my mind, my staff didn't agree with me. My own wife thought a cafe in the in the sanctuary? <laughs> And I and I decided, you know, I, I I really believe that this will send a signal to everybody who walks into the auditorium of what kind of church we are. Yeah, I remember a, a couple coming to me and saying to me, well, uh, one person coming to me out of a family and saying to me, you know, that's just sinful. You, you can't you can't put a cafe in the sanctuary. And um, and so I, ha- I, I did one of my visionary things where I just kind of pushed it through. Mm. And, I, you know, there's some people that left because of it. Mm. But I'm, I'm glad to say today that the person who was so against it is they're involved in leading. Wow. The ministry that that works out of that cafe today—that's great—and it's just it's just vision. It it, it's the, it it was the as far as the building was concerned, mm-hmm. it was the it was the most positive thing that we did because people stay around.
2: Yeah, people
1: don't rush out of Calvary Church. Yeah, people stay around and talk. Mm. Uh, people people we we use the term fellowship. I don't like the word fellowship. I like the word connect.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: people connect. Yeah. And there's this constant conversation happening. Yeah. And I believe that that is a visual representation of the fact that we're pretty uh, hyped here at Calvary about people connecting people together and helping people to do relationship.
2: Yeah,
1: And so um, it, it's, it's, it's been that kind of journey, a, a journey of hit and miss, a journey of sometimes pushing some things through. Mm. Um, it's been a journey of trying to help my own team sometimes see the vision. I'm a visionary. And so I'm usually way in the future. And, and sometimes I believe people are there with me. Mm. And so I have to slow down sometimes to, Mm -hmm. to get people there with me. That's so that's a old example. Let me give you a new example of this. Okay. We did a Saturday night service uh, called. Uh, um, we called it a Saturday night go. Okay. And the church was growing, and so we thought we should do another service. And we wanted to do a service in a different model. Mm-hmm. And so the Saturday night go service was a service around the table, and so everything was built around the table. And and so we would have we would have worship through song, and then we would have a worship through the word. And we started with some tapest kind of a setup. And then we would move to conversations around the table mm. to end the service. Well, it was my plan from day one that what we did on Saturday night would eventually become what we do on Sunday morning.
2: Mm.
1: Um, and a lot of people could not see that. Yeah. And I had seen different examples of it. And so about a year and a half ago, we stopped Saturday night service and began to make the transition to Sunday morning being what we call the gathering. Mm. The gathering has four movements. I This comes a little bit from Leonard Sweet and his yeah. epic style of worship, mm. uh, epic style of gathering and community. And so the gathering would have these four stages, connecting around the table mm-hmm. and then worship through word and song around the table and then responding, responding through communion, through giving, through worship and song, through altar, Mm-hmm. Whether you go and have someone pray with you, or you go and you nail something to the altar, and then a time of reflection,
0: mm. trying
1: to apply what we've learned. Oh, I
0: love that. And
1: um, and I begin to kind of talk about we're going to move in this direction. This is where we're going. We're going to change the service time, and we're going to move in this direction. Mm. And. Um, and, and people were very concerned. So I had a pie with the pastors, sat down, and talked about this coming out of Psalms and and Ezra and Nehemiah as they as as the people who were scattered came back together. And this is how they would do community. People were extremely concerned, mm-hmm. and I and and they were especially concerned about the reflection time. Mm. No one's going to sit around the table and talk, and some people just don't talk, and and so we put it off and we put it off. And we finally, got, I just got tied up to put an office that we're going to launch in March. Mm. And so we started to redo the auditorium. We uh, we have a number of chairs, but we have eight tables now. Mm. So on both of the ends, we put a number of chairs there just so that the folks who who wanted to go back to Egypt could go back to Egypt. Sure. Right? And then we would have tables. And so we would start. We start with uh, uh, this time of connecting, and then we move into worship through word and through song and And we would respond. And, you know, we're we're a response church, but our church wasn't a responding church. So we would have altar calls and people wouldn't respond. And so this idea of doing the Eucharist Mm. and responding through the Eucharist and through the altar and through singing and giving gave people an opportunity to respond. But what surprised everyone was the reflection time. People will not get up from the tables. Mm. People said, can we cut some of the other time so we can do more <laughs> reflection time? Now this was a crowd that thought no one would do this. Right. And it's it's been one of the things that people have appreciated the most. And so that kind of visionary mind thinking is what kind of God has gifted me with.
2: Mm.
1: But I it, I have to do a better job bringing people with me. Yeah. But it, it is always good when God uh, gives vision. Mm. And then as it... Oh, as it unfolds, people respond to vision mm. in in a community that is transient. Let me give you a good example of being a community being transit, transient. Last summer, we had 54 people move away out of the area. Wow. Out of a church of about 180, mm. 200, 54 people. Mm. This is a transient area. People come here for government jobs. People come here for military people, but, but, Everything's always transitioning. Mm. And in that situation where people move here, so if they, on holidays, people go away. So mm. this this Memorial Day, a lot of people will go away because yeah. when they get a chance to get out of the rat race, which is metropolitan DC, yeah. they get out. And so in that kind of community, coming together in the gathering becomes so, and gathering around the table becomes so important because it is almost the, I call it swimming against the tide of Mm -hmm. the culture in which we live, a culture that's very splintered, a culture that's not very deep in relationship. Mm -hmm. And so this swims against that tide. And what we're finding is people who had come here for years didn't know people that sat in another section of the church. And now they know one another. And now they're doing things together and going beyond what I call drive by because any community we do at church is drive by unless we're getting into each other's homes and beyond kind of this building here in this campus. We're just doing drive by stuff. But now they're 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 getting into each other's homes Mm -hmm. and they're getting involved in each other's lives. And they're praying for each other. Now they're willing to share a prayer request, or they're willing to share. You know, this is what I'm dealing with, and I just need prayer. They're willing to be more confessional. Yeah. So a whole bunch of stuff like that's happening. But that's that's been the journey of Calvary. It's been a it's been a very interesting. I never thought when I showed up here 12 years ago that I would still be here.
2: Mm.
1: My intention was to come in here four years, make some changes. And move on. Mm. And I tease. I tease my people all the time. I, I say to them, "Well, there was a lot of issues here, so it took more than four years." <laughs> and then I'll say, "And I had a lot of issues, mm. and I needed healing." Oh. And so we we have uh, we've been good for each other. I'm a transparent pastor. Mm. Uh, what's going on in my life, I just share.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, when I got to Calvary, I was, I hadn't dealt with any of the stuff of my youth. Mm. I hadn't dealt with being in foster care. I hadn't dealt with any of that. Mm. And I and I started getting I started getting therapy for that. Yeah. And I just was transparent. Yeah. People say, why would you tell people you're going through therapy? And I would say, because my sense is if I've got issues, other people have issues, too. Okay. And if I can be transparent with my issues, then maybe they will open up about their issues yeah. and we can do life together. Oh,
0: that's great.
1: So those those have been some of the uh, some of the some of the journey that, mm. that we've been on. Uh, as a church and, and we're, we're, we're at another place now because we had those people move away. And so we're another place now where we have to, we can't just wait for people to show up because good Nazarenes move into the area and they're looking for a happening Nazarene church. (laughs) Uh, we gotta be a church that engages our community. And so we're doing some stuff on Facebook live now, and we're doing some stuff. Uh, some local ministry partners were involved in the, uh, local, um, community college, which is right down the road from us and, mm. and, uh, doing some amazing things with students. And so we can't just be a church that has a sign out and wait for people to come to us. We, we, we have to be missional again and get back to going. Yeah. And so that's, that's been an amazing journey. And, I, and I've got, a, I, I want to not miss Be I would be remiss if I didn't talk about my amazing family. Mm. Uh, we, we moved to Fredericksburg in the middle of the boom of the housing market mm. and, uh, the housing market went bust as soon as we got here. Mm. And so our house that had no value really. And so, uh, I, I make an amazing commute. The mm. worst commute in the country is a commute from where I live to where my church is.
0: Ugh.
1: And, uh, and we've been making that for a long time and that takes some sacrifices on the part of the church. Yeah, And some sacrifice on the part of my family. Mm. And so I got this amazing church that has understood that uh, we're finally getting to the place where we could actually sell our house and not be underwater. Mm-hmm. And so I'm looking forward to the opportunity of finally getting the house on the market and, 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 and connecting here mm. in the Annandale area. And uh, so an amazing church is understood in the family. Uh, of course, that means my wife. Ah, uh, three nights a week. I work late because I want to make sure I have night, not evening appointments. Yeah. And uh, so the church has been patient. Uh, my family has been patient, and uh, it's it's been a very interesting journey. I always tell people I will never again serve in another church. That this has been uh, this has been the highlight of my pastoral ministry. Mm-hmm. I, I and I just uh, these people I've dedicated. I married. I buried. All, all the fun stuff yeah. uh, that that happens with the church, and uh, I love them, and and uh, they've embraced me. Mm-hmm. And I, this is a unique thing that's happening. There's not many places in the Church of Nazarene where this is happening.
2: Yeah.
1: Today, the church is about. I would say the church is 60% Anglo, mm-hmm. and the next uh, the next population would be Hispanic, uh, and then we have Asians uh African Americans and then there's a smattering of other different uh ethnicities in in that group. Mm-hmm. Uh we partner with uh Korean ministry because there's a little uh area of Annandale that is Korean speaking mm-hmm. and so we have that and we partner with a a Spanish speaking ministry for those who who Spanish is their first language. Mm-hmm. And um so it's 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 been interesting.
0: What advice would you give to a young pastor who was hoping to shepherd his church to be more open and diverse
1: i would say i think it depends on who the pastor was i would say if the pastor was an anglo pastor Mm -hmm. who was trying to do it you just love you you if you love on people and and you do life with people and know the journey Mm -hmm. you got to know the journey because if you don't know the journey you'll make a lot of mistakes Mm-hmm. And so I would say, "Get down and dirty." i talk, I call it getting down and dirty, mm-hmm. and get in people's life and know their journeys um i i have I've always been a person that's been surrounded by majority culture.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: and so i i had i've have always done the journey. But if you're on the flip side, David Bowen, for instance, instance the pastor that I grew up with, mm-hmm. he just he just he just did the journey. When he left Grace Church, he became the chaplain at the state penitentiary in Pennsylvania.
2: Wow! He had a
1: congregation: one third Hispanic, one third white, one third black. Wow! Because that's who he was, and he just did life. And so I would say to my Anglo brothers uh, and sisters, and I know in in this whole uh, millennial crowd that that they're they're embracing. They want us to get beyond these issues, but you got to do life. Yeah. You got to do life uh, with people. And uh, get to know their journeys, and you and you got to look at music and who's on the stage and who's in leadership, and you got to look at all of those things. Mm. But I think, and you and let me let me say something I didn't say. Every now and then, you have to, you have to have to challenge when you see issues of racism and issues where people disparage other people's cultures. Mm. Um, there was a. Uh, Uh, I I didn't tell this story. One day I had a guy come up to me in my church and we were sharing the church. So we were uh, we were allowing a a Hispanic ministry to use a church uh, at night in the evening. And he he came up to me and said, those Mexicans did something.
2: Mm.
1: And I said to him, excuse me, well, those Mexicans, I said, well, let me give you let me do let's do geography first. There's no Mexicans. You know, we don't have Mexicans here because we're in the East Coast and most of these folks are coming from South and Central America or Puerto Rico. All yeah. right? So there're no Mexicans here. And then I looked at him and said, "You said that in a derogatory slur type of a way." Mm. I said, "That would be like you calling me the N-word." Mm. And he looked at me and he got tears in his eyes and he said, I would never call you that. And I said to him, I don't know that. Mm. Because if you'll you'll lose in a slur way Mexicans or any other term, why wouldn't you? You know me, so maybe you wouldn't use it for me. But the question is, would you use it for someone else? Mm. And I called it out because if you don't call it out then people will assume it's all right and if you're trying to put together a multi ethnic multicultural church yeah you got to call that out mm. and that's hard yeah. it, that's not that's not an easy thing to do it's not easy to call that out mm. and i had to call it out and you know what Of uh, that person changed that day
2: mm.
1: at least in the context of this community that person changed yeah. and so it, it's it's not easy doing this here's the deal you're not going to be super successful let's use that term with air quotes
2: yeah
1: you know and in the church sometimes we define success as bucks buildings and behinds <laughs> and when you decide that you're going to bring people together in that context mm. you might not have the kind of success that the church sometimes measures.
0: Yeah.
1: My thinking is that when you bring people together and that they can, they can uh, do community across what race, which seems to be our big issue. And, and if it wasn't in the con in the last eight to 10 to 12 years, probably the next sixteen eight sixteen eight, 16 years, we're going to deal with that. Yeah. That's something that we're dealing with and is in our face all the time. When you can bring that kind of church together, you might not get the accolades of whoever those people measuring buildings, butts and bucks. <laughs> but you're doing something kingdom. Yeah. You're doing something kingdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I was talking to a person of color who wanted to do it. I would say same some of the same things. You gotta do life with people, know where they come from, know their experiences. I would say you gotta surround yourself with some people. Make sure you you surround yourself with people that look different, that act different than you. It's probably the same thing on both sides. Mm-hmm. I, I will say I think that it's harder to call some things out. Like I, I I'm a I'm an advocate for women in ministry in the Church of Nazarene. Okay. And I'll die on that. Mm. And I can do that, but it's a lot harder for me to be an advocate of African Americans because people just think I'm I'm tooting my own horn. Right. And so I think we help each other. I yeah. had a conversation with one of our female leaders in the church of Nazarene the other day, who is an advocate for African Americans and and people of color in the church of Nazarene. Mm. And I said to her, "Well, you keep on being an advocate for people of color, and I'll keep on being an advocate for women." And we'll get this thing done. So, uh, <laughs> But I would say to a person that wants to do it, look at your community. Dr. Jerry Port and I used to always get in this conversation because I would always say every church should be multicultural. And uh, he would say, James, it depends on language and it depends on your community. Yeah. And he was right. <laughs> so if you go to a community somewhere in rural somewhere where there's no diversity, you're probably not going to have a diverse church. Yeah. So if you're a person who's looking to put together that kind of church, you need to go to a diverse community. Mm. Uh, you need to be. You need to understand that sometimes you're going to be working on your own.
2: Yeah. That
1: that most people like to go to church where people look like them, act like them, and so you're going to have to go through some barriers. Mm. I think the other thing is you're, go- you're going to realize you make some mistakes.
2: Mm. Keep
1: on going. It, it, this is a long term.
2: Yeah.
1: If a person wants to be the denominational sweetheart and uh, get all the accolades, this is probably not the. Not the situation for them to do, but sure. if they want to do something that is something that chain that is kingdom, mm. uh, beside and 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 I think every church is kingdom. Making Christ like disciples in the nation is a kingdom thing, yeah. and preparing people and helping people to connect with God is a kingdom thing. But to do that across ethnic and cultural lines is something that I think that not everyone is called to, but I think there are people out there who are called to it and i think there are people out there and i think especially in the millennial generation who want that
2: yeah
1: who believes that is as missional mm-hmm. as it is for us to go overseas and make christ like disciples in nations we understand that you don't have to go overseas to do cross cultural ministry yeah. you can do that right here now yeah. So uh, I guess that's what I would say.
0: That's great. Thank you for that. The last question I ask everyone is: What inspires you to stay in the Church of the Nazarene? What is it that's keeping you here?
1: I, I had a conversation with a leader in the church, and uh, we were having conversations. And there was, uh, and there have been times. There have been times. Uh, it, 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 it totally transparent. There have been times where I wanted to say this is too hard. Yeah that there are other denominations where this would uh, be a lot easier. Mm.
2: Uh,
1: So the first thing that keeps me uh, inspired and keeps me in the church in Nazarene is because our optimistic theology is just a passion of my heart.
2: Mm.
1: I just believe that this idea of uh, being set apart uh, that the, this theology that says that we don't have to be slaves to sin mm. every day, every moment, that we can be set free, that God can change. I, in fact, I'm preaching about it this weekend, being rescued from the sin of our heart and the sin of our hand. Mm. So that's that's the first reason that I've stayed, because I've been in a lot of churches. I was a spiritual mutt before I came to the Church of Nazarene. I've been in Assemblies of God. I've been in Baptists. This unique, distinctive doctrine, optimistic grace is something that is a a heartbeat for me. Mm -hmm. The second reason uh, that I've stayed in is builds on that, because if any people should be a people that begin to be color, that that begin to bring people together. I was going to say colorblind. I don't like that term. I think you should see color, but begin to embrace us coming together, Mm -hmm. not just, you know, over on a mission field somewhere, but right here at home, we should be those people. Mm. Because, because this idea of being separated by race and culture, that, that's a hard issue.
2: Yeah.
1: And when and when we're set apart, and when God entirely cleanses us, mm. and, and that shouldn't be the issue anymore.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and so that's the second reason. Third reason is. I had this conversation with a a leader, and I talked about, you know, maybe, maybe I should just kind of. Somebody, a leader from another denomination, came to me and said, "Man, you're, you're you're having struggles there. Man, we would we would take you with all your gifts and graces. You could just do." And this leader said to me, and I love I love him. I love him to this day. He said, "You know, I thought about that, but he said what I've decided to do was stay in the church and get to positions." Of leadership, mm. and then be the change agent in the positions of leadership,
2: mm.
1: because it's a lot easy. It's a lot easier to walk yeah. and say I give up and I'm not staying in. It it, it takes some integrity. It takes some stick to itiveness yeah. to say I'm going to stay in. And I and I've been blessed. I've been able to serve in different leadership positions in the Church of Nazarene National Board, different positions of leadership. And, and my goal has been to ask the questions. Mm. So when I get around leaders, I ask questions. Yeah. I ask questions about why isn't this like this? Yeah. I ask questions about our history. Mm. I ask questions about how are we, how are we planning now for a, a nation that is going to be more multicultural, not less? Yeah. What are we doing now? Yeah. Not just in the Hispanic culture, because I think I think we're doing a great job on my district. We have a Hispanic coordinator and then we're planning churches in some great ways
2: Mm.
1: in the Hispanic community and doing a really, really, really good job.
2: Mm.
1: But there are other communities. Yeah. So my job is to continue to bring people together. And I stay around because I believe if there's any theology. That should be bringing people together and that should be helping us do community across lines of color and race and economic and academic differences. The Church of the Nazarenes should be that church and that theology. I'm 50 now. So I, I tell my wife all the time I got 20 good years left before they make me a visitation pastor. And uh, a visitation <laughs> pastor in the church somewhere. Right. So in those twenty years, I just want to be involved in helping uh, bring people together, of helping the church of Nazarene to to uh, live out what I believe its theology is all about. Mm-hmm. This idea of making Christ like disciples in all the nations.
2: Yeah.
1: And uh, bringing people together to make the, the, the to accomplish that mission. And I just think that the the here in USA Canada, on our region, we sh- we should be able to pull that off. I mean, and and here's the problem: the problem for us is in a lot of our urban areas, the church in Nazarene has not and is not doing well. We, we I think we're doing in USA Canada. I think we're doing an outstanding job in the uh, in the Hispanic culture. Um, but rest of the areas, it's hard for us. Yeah. And uh, I, I, and you know, so when I talk to my fellow folks of color, especially in my own my own uh, ethnic background, African American, we have some work to do. Yeah. I'm uh, unapologetically a multi ethnic church pastor. Mm. And I'm not even I'm not sure I, people have said to me, James, I'm not sure if you could pastor a black church, air quotes. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that. I, I don't know whether I know that uh, or not. I think I could. Sometimes I think I could and I don't know. But I, here's what I do know. This idea of bringing people together. Is important. And Joseph Garlington, who used to be uh, who used to be involved in the promise keepers movement, would say, Covenant means coming together. In a divided world, only the church can model togetherness.
2: Yeah.
1: Only the church can model community. Yeah. And I would say in the divided society, the church of Nazarene, and in a, and in a divided church. Mm. The church of Nazarene has the opportunity mm. to model coming together. And I, I don't have any problem with language barriers. I have no problem with language barriers. If you have a different language, there's no problem with that. But as I remind my friends and our leadership, uh, we got a whole bunch of people that speak English. Yeah. So there is no language barrier. Yeah. There's a heart barrier Mm. in communities where there's no color, there's no diversity, not a problem. But we have plenty of communities that are extremely diverse and we still don't have churches where people are coming together. Mm. We've got to deal with that. Yeah. And uh, and I stay in the Church of Nazarene to be one of the people to help the church to work through that and to come out on the other sides. Mm.
0: Well, I so appreciate all that you do towards that end. I appreciate you. It's It's ministries like yours to us that give me hope for our denominations future. So thank you for that. If somebody wanted to get in touch with you or ask you specific questions, where could they reach you? How could they find you?
1: They can. uh, They can reach me. uh, I'm gonna give my personal email address: uh, jfhey2 at gmail.com. And and here's the deal: as I say to my congregation uh, every now and then, don't send me hate mail. (laughs) I I won't answer hate mail. I say it to my congregation because I'll say something every now and then. I say please don't email me about that. But no, I I would I would answer any question. I don't have. I would answer any question. And um and so that that would be my email address. And then our church's a uh, website mm-hmm. where you can get more information would be Calvary Church dot org. So Calvary Church dot org and that that gives that person my church's website and then they could also get in touch with me through that website
0: that's awesome thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show
1: no problem Britt. Britt, thank you so much for inviting me and uh now i get to go and watch some of the uh go and listen to some of the other podcasts
0: <laughs> awesome thanks again
1: blessings bye-bye